This podcast is brought to you by Amicus Attorney, developers of legal practice management software. Let Amicus help you run your practice so you can focus on what you do best, practice law. Visit amicusattorney.com and get started today. For some young lawyers, the amount of money they have to pay in student loans each month is incredibly overwhelming, and many are looking for ways that maybe they can manage their financial commitments better in a way they don't have to worry about it all the time and it doesn't dominate their entire lives. I'm Stephanie Francis Ford, and on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, I'm speaking with Adam Minsky, an attorney whose entire law practice is focused on helping student loan borrowers. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes. Now, I read that you started your practice focus after you had your own problem dealing with student loan servicers. Can you tell me about that? Sure, yeah. Um, So I graduated law school with uh, a bunch of student loans, um, as did um, everyone else uh, who I knew. Um, And I was lucky enough to graduate, you know, with employment. And when it came time to pay my loans, I was was ready to start paying them. And I actually encountered a problem with one of my servicers. Uh, I was locked out of my account. They wouldn't accept payments. Um, and no one could give me a straight answer as to what was going on. So to, to make a long story short, I, I tried to find help in the form of legal help or fi- some sort of financial advice. I, I couldn't find anyone to help me because no one was doing this work. So I was able to fix the problem on my own and I resolved it. Um, but in the course of that experience, I, I realized that you know a lot of people have student loans, a lot of people are struggling, and there's no one out there uh, doing this type of work. So it was shortly after that, Uh, that I decided to uh, start my own practice. Can you tell me what you did to get the problem fixed? Um, It was uh, a lot of phone calls. Um, It was a lot of uh, escalating to management, filing formal complaints. Um, I did wind up hiring uh, an attorney friend of mine to send some letters, um, and that seemed to sort of uh, loosen things up a bit so I could get some answers and, and get a result. Okay. And what's your sense of how frequently uh, loan servicing centers might mess up someone's student loan payments? Because I can imagine it could be discouraging on top of everything else. And, you know, most people don't want to make a lot of phone calls. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, I mean, uh, you know, my my position is a little bit biased because I'm, you know, helping people who are, uh, by definition, you know, having some trouble. But um, in my experience, loan servicing on the whole uh, is is a disaster. Uh, people are encountering problems um, at every step of the loan repayment process. Um, I did my own sort of informal survey uh, with one one servicer in particular um, a year or two ago and determined that um, 60% of my clients who had a loan with this servicer had some sort of error caused by that servicer. So, so, uh, well more than half. Um, and we know that this isn't just, you know, clients coming to me, this is across the board, uh, the consumer financial protection bureau, uh, at the federal level filed many reports showing how widespread servicing problems are. And the CFPB has actually filed a lawsuit, um, against one of the biggest, uh, loan servicers, Navient, uh, for these types of ongoing errors and, and mistakes. Adam, do you have a sense of what the average amount of student debt recent law school graduates have, including undergraduate debt? So I don't have any uh, current uh, figures. I know that back in, uh, I believe, 2012, if I'm not mistaken, I think the ABA actually published some stats 
showing that the average uh, private law school debt uh, was around 100000 That was just for law school. That did not include undergraduate debt, uh, which currently, I believe, is in the mid-30s, somewhere around thirty-five or 36000 So combined, I think easily the average law school debt is well over $100,000. And I, I frequently see over $200,000 uh, with my clients uh, when you combine that with undergraduate debt as well. Oh, interesting. Do you hear of many people with more than $200,000 in law school debt who are thinking about going into default or maybe already have? I do encounter that. Um, It's not something that I see, um, you know, uh, incredibly often uh, because, you know, there are programs available uh, uh, to, to help borrowers who have that level of debt. Uh, you know, they can still have an affordable payment plan depending on the type of loans that they have and what their income is. They might even be able to, uh, to get on to track for loan forgiveness programs. Um, so even if you have large levels of debt like that, it's not necessarily the end of the world. Uh, you might have options. And, and, and part of my job is helping borrowers understand uh, what those options are and what the best course of action is uh, for them. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, I am going to ask you more about those options. These days, law firms need to do more with less. Making this happen requires efficient, cost-effective tools that work the way you do. Available as a desktop or cloud solution, Amicus Attorney Practice Management Software improves the organization of your firm and drives your bottom line. Visit amicusattorney.com to discover how you can join the thousands of lawyers who rely on amicus every day to run their practices. And we're back. I'm Stephanie Francis Ford, and today I'm speaking with Adam Minsky, an attorney whose entire law practice centers on helping people manage their student debt. Um, So, Adam, before break, we were speaking about people who have maybe around $200,000 in school debt, including undergraduate and law school. And that idea of feeling overwhelmed with that and maybe thinking about going into default. And you said that there are options. Can you tell me about some of the options that maybe a lot of people don't realize? Absolutely. And and, and before we even get to that, I, I do think it's important to point out that defaulting on, on student loans can be uh, incredibly damaging. Not only does your credit report get wrecked uh, for years, uh, but they can tack on exorbitant fees and penalties that can drastically increase the amount that you owe. Um, and they can also uh, garnish your wages, seize your federal tax refund, and even file a lawsuit against you. So default is really sort of a, a, a drastic measure. Um, and, and the good news is that you, you often do have other options, uh, in particular for federal student loans. Uh, for federal loans, there are a couple different categories of repayment plan options. There's the regular standard plans, but then there's also a handful of plans where you can have a uniquely tailored monthly payment tied to your income. So even if you have a large amount of debt, if your income is low, you might be able to have a fairly low monthly payment and keep the loan in good standing. Those income-driven repayment plans also have a loan forgiveness safety net where if you don't repay your loans in 20 or 25 years, depending on the plan that you're eligible for, the plan that you're in, um, any remaining balance at the end of those plans uh, gets forgiven. 
So it's a way for you to make payments, stay in good standing, and not necessarily have to pay back that full balance. Uh, you make a payment that's tied to what you can reasonably afford based on your earnings. There are also some profession-based forgiveness programs. For instance, if you are working uh, in public service for a government or nonprofit organization, uh, you might be able to get your loans forgiven even sooner um, if you are working in eligible employment. So there really are programs that can be really helpful for people uh, and, and, and hopefully keep people from going uh, into default. And I want to go back a moment to something you just said about the uh income-driven repayment. We spoke earlier about how it's hard oftentimes dealing with loan servicing centers and getting the paperwork right. If your income changes, do you see people who do have problems getting their payment plan modified with their income change? Sure, yeah. So so that's a good uh, segue into, in, into an overview of how these plans actually work a little bit. Um, so the way all the plans work for the income-driven programs is that uh, the monthly payment that they come up with, that only lasts for a maximum period of 12 months. And towards the end of that 12-month cycle, borrowers are required uh, to recertify the plan and submit new documentation of income. And if your income changes, then your payment changes as well. But if you fail to do that, you get bumped off the plan and then you have to reapply and that can be a whole problematic process. Um, if your income changes before the end of that 12-month cycle, borrowers also have the right to request a recalculation of their payment if their income drops before it's time to recertify. So there are multiple opportunities to get a recalculation, but you got to do it uh, whether you want to or not um, at the end of that cycle. And at every, op- at, 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 at every stage of that process, there is the potential for a servicer to mess up. Either they won't process an application that they received in a timely fashion, uh, or they'll mess up the calculation, or they'll deny eligibility. Um, and, and this actually is a, uh, are, are pretty common problems that I see, and it's a lot of those problems that form the basis for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's lawsuit against Navian. And just to be clear, it's not just limited to Navian. A lot of the major federal servicers um, have similar problems as well. So while income-driven repayment is great, the bureaucratic challenges um, can be uh, really frustrating for people, uh, and it can be really tough to navigate it. And you mentioned the public service loan forgiveness uh, program. There is some fear now that whether that will actually work out for people. Do you think that's a legitimate fear or do you think people who meet, meet, people who meet the qualifications are probably pretty safe? Their loans will be forgiven. I think there are reasons to be concerned and vigilant, but uh, there's no indication that the program right now is going to be taken away for borrowers who are already on track. Um, just to give this some context, public service loan forgiveness allows for the forgiven, or for, for the forgiveness of any remaining balance um, on eligible federal student loans um, after 120 qualifying payments. If those 120 payments are made consecutively, that adds up to 10 years, uh, but they don't have to be consecutive, so it can take... Uh, it could take longer than, than 10 years. Um, but for those borrowers, uh, no one has actually reached the threshold of loan forgiveness yet. The program was created in October of 2007. Uh, it's not retroactive to before that date. And so the first borrowers who can even request forgiveness under the program cannot do so 
until October of this year, 2017. So we haven't even seen anyone get that benefit yet. Um, that being said, uh, there are a couple of things in the news that are certainly concerning to people. Uh, number one, the Trump administration proposed defunding the program, um, uh, which wouldn't repeal the program. It just would mean that no one would uh, get the benefit of the program. Uh, but the administration did clarify uh, in their proposal and subsequently to reporters that current borrowers on track for public service loan forgiveness would be effectively grandfathered in. Uh, the changes would only impact borrowers starting uh, who, who take out new loans starting in 2018 going forward. Uh, there also is a pending lawsuit involving the public service loan forgiveness program where certain employees who work for... Right, from the ABA. The ABA is a plaintiff in that lawsuit. The background there um, is that there are three types of qualifying organizations for public service loan forgiveness. There's government entities, uh, there's 501c3 nonprofit organizations, and there's non-501c3 nonprofits. Now, it's pretty easy for government entities and 501c3s, those quite clearly qualify. Uh, Non-501c3s are determined on a case-by-case basis. The Department of Ed, through its loan servicer, made an initial determination that certain non-501c3s qualify, including the ABA, and then rescinded those initial determinations uh, later on. And that is currently being litigated. We don't have a final outcome, but the Department of Ed's position is that they can do that. that they can rescind these initial determinations and later determine that that employment actually doesn't qualify. Uh, that that outcome has not been determined yet in terms of that court case. Uh, the Department of Ed's position is certainly concerning, but it is only about those non-501c3 nonprofits, at least right now. It's not about all the other uh, types of employment. So bottom line with all this is that there are reasons to be concerned. Um, that being said, I'm not seeing uh, any indication so far, at least, that current borrowers on track who uh, for public service loan forgiveness who are working for a traditional government entity or 501c3 nonprofit are in some sort of imminent danger. Uh, certainly, be vigilant um, and and uh, and and fight for 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 this program. Uh, but right now, it doesn't look like uh, those people are in imminent danger. Okay, um, and let's go back to that default question. As you said, I mean, it's a terrible thing. You should avoid it at all costs. If someone has gone into default, how can they make things better? Sure, yeah. So for federal student loans, as bad as default is, there are programs available to cure the default and restore those loans back to good standing again. Um, There is consolidation available for some borrowers where you can take out a direct consolidation loan from the Department of Ed. It pays off the defaulted loans, and then you make payments on the loan that's now in good standing. There also is rehabilitation available where borrowers can make a series of monthly payments tied to their income about nine months. At the end of that nine-month period, they are restored back to good standing again, and the default is deleted from their credit history. Uh, both options have you know, some pros and cons, and there are different eligibility criteria, but uh, but the point is there are often options for borrowers to get out of default. There's, there's also settlement, which tends to be far too expensive uh, for most borrowers uh, since it requires a substantial portion of the balance be paid, uh, but that's sometimes an option for borrowers as well. Uh, private loans are tougher. There is no rehabilitation program usually, um, and there's no way to consolidate it into the federal system. So, uh, so your options are going to be more limited to cure a default for private loans Uh, But for federal loans, uh, there often are options. Have you seen situations where someone just feels completely overwhelmed by their student law debt and feels like they're never going to be able to handle it and move on and, you know, do things that people as adults like to do, like buy a house, get married, things like that? Um, And some of those stories, have you seen where 
oh, you know what? Actually, I can handle this. And the person figures things out and is successful. They manage their student loan debt and they get to go on with their lives. Have you seen that? And if so, is there a consistent theme in those stories of how someone made it work for themselves? Sure. I mean, so I, I encounter borrowers who are struggling uh, at, at, at all levels um, of education, at all levels of student debt. Um, and it's, it's, it's a pretty common and unfortunate uh, feeling to have um, that, that you are never going to, uh, to get rid of this. Um, it really is a case-by-case type of analysis, but I can absolutely say that plenty of, 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 of borrowers that I have met with and worked with um, even with large balances, have been able to make things work. They can get onto an affordable plan. Uh, they can get on track for a loan forgiveness program. They can get married. They can have kids. They can get a mortgage to buy a house. Um, all of that certainly is possible. It might be more challenging with student debt. There might be more hurdles you have to jump through. Um, uh, you might have a lower chance of, of, of success in some of those areas, but, uh, but people do it uh, and people make it work. Um, and even for people who are, you know, really in a bad place, maybe they've fallen behind or they're in default um, or they're in collections. I mean, that can also be uh, a really stressful type of situation, uh, but there are ways out of that, too. So uh, don't lose hope. Um, you know, there, 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 there really are options for people. Could you give me a quick example of how you've seen someone who did make it work? Uh, well, sure. I mean, uh, an example comes to mind where the borrower uh, was in default on uh, private and federal student loans. Um, and you know, credit was shot. Um, it seemed like a pretty hopeless situation. And over the course of, uh, you know, many months, uh, we were able to resolve the federal default through a combination of rehabilitation and consolidation, able to get the borrower, uh, back into, um, a, uh, a, 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 an affordable payment plan on track for both income driven repayment and public service loan forgiveness. Um, and on the private loan side of things, we were able to resolve those defaults through a negotiated settlement. Um, and so they were able to get rid of their private debt. Uh, they were able to resolve the defaults on their federal debt, get everything back into good standing and start making track, uh, towards uh, a goal, a goal that has a, a finite, uh, uh, you know, period of time where you're going to be making payments and then, and then you're done. Uh, their credit got repaired uh, and they were able to move on with their lives. So um, absolutely great example of, of progress there. All right. Adam, that's everything I wanted to ask you today. Would you like to add anything else? You know, I, I, I would just say again, you know, have hope. Um, it can feel like a hopeless situation to have all this debt. Um, I think that the, the best advice I can give um, is to uh, really take the time to understand your options, uh, your rights, um, and figure out the best plan for you so that you can avoid the worst consequences of having student debt and set yourself up for success. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yes. And listeners, thank you for joining us as well. I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, and you've been listening to the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered. Please tune in again next month.